This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 62 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host Mike Parkin and joining me in just a moment will be my longtime collaborator Richard Hawes, the schlock pits David Wayne and from Flickering Myth Tom Jolliffe. Now you'll probably notice that this episode has been split into two instalments. This is because we originally had so much material for this week's show, we originally planned to record two full episodes back to back. But unfortunately, my laptop was besieged by gremlins and decided not to record my side of the conversation. Luckily we were able to spot this relatively early, but not before losing part of the DTV chart and coming soon sections. So what we're left with are six, count them, six reviews. In this instalment you'll hear our reviews of Accident Man, Jailbreak and Cold Skin, whilst in the second half there are reviews of Manhunt, Dark and Braven. Hopefully by the next episode all will be running smoothly. Uh, I've got the um, Smoking Lamb podcast to record before then, so hopefully, fingers crossed, anyway. So, just to keep things as normal as possible, I'm going to crack on with a DTV chart. Okay, so it's uh, time for the DTV chart. Thanks to Richard Hawes for setting this up this week. At number 10, we've got Beyond Skyline. It's a re-entry for Frank Grillo and Iko Uwe kicking alien ass both in America and in Indonesia. At number nine, we've got Piwacket, a really good unconventional horror movie about a girl who um, commits a satanic ritual to try and kill her mother and then instantly regrets it. But is it too late? At number eight is Apocalypse Tomorrow, an asylum movie. It's uh, retitled. It um, has Christopher Lloyd in it. Um, it's an asylum movie, so you know what to expect. Number seven is SWAT 24 Hours. This stars Misha Barton and Tom Sizemore. For my money, this looks a bit too much on the cheap side and looks like it's been shot on video. So beware. Uh, number six, Nicolas Cage in Looking Glass, starring as the owner of a um, CD motel. Um, our friend Dave, take a look at this, and he wasn't too impressed, unfortunately. Number five is a film that Dave was impressed with. It's Rex, also known as Megan Levy. Um, bit of a tearjerker, so beware of that one. Number four is Guardians of the Tomb, starring Kelsey Grammer in a um, Chinese co-production, where he's doing a bit of Indiana Jones and coming up against some CGI spiders. Number three is Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay, part of the DC animated universe, and by all accounts, much better than the live-action version of The Suicide Squad. Number two is The Resistance, yet another wartime drama. This one was originally called The Invisibles. Um, no idea what it's like, but yeah, there you go. And at number one is Braven, uh, starring Jason Momoa, and it's one of our reviews for this week. <laughs> It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got five trailers to take a peek at. And we're going to start with a film called Special Mission. And I don't know a hell of a lot about this, apart from 
having just seen the trailer, which looks pretty action-packed. Um, this seems to be about um, two security operatives who team up um, to try and foil a kidnapping of a foreign royalty. Um, unfortunately, the trailer's got no English subtitles, or the one I, I had a look at didn't have any English subtitles. But this looks um, pretty action-packed. How about you guys? Yeah, I thought it looked, I thought it looks excellent. George. Yeah, pretty standard, pretty standard, uh, very polished, mm. nicely cut trailer, but just that, mm. you know, that, that, that um, absence of any information, I couldn't find a director, I couldn't really find, um, you know, who, who, where the funding came from or a budget, so, mm. so yeah, that would help, but so far, so yeah. It would, and unfortunately, IMDb is totally useless in, in this capacity um, at the moment, anyway, it's got nothing apart from the names of the um, the two main characters. You know, it hasn't even got a director attached or anything. But um, you know, films coming out in June in the, in China, so there you go. So it's uh, the yeah. the guy who was in the story of Ricky, Ricky O, uh, in 1991. Mm-hmm. So this is him back, sort of. I know he's sort of been around for for you know in various roles over the years, but he's like front yeah. and center again in this one. Uh, he's also going to be uh, co-starring with Steven Seagal in Attrition this year as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it looks pretty solid. It's clearly going for the kind of the wolf warrior kind of market. And, uh, yeah, it sort of looks like it's riding the coattails there a bit. So it'll be interesting to see how well it does. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you remember how? Do you remember Chum? Do you remember Chum and Chuck? And and how he uh, basically disappeared and then he came back with a yeah, new name. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, it kind of feels like the same kind of thing here. It's like he he, he was the, he was there. He was he was kind of you know a, a leading man, like a star, and mm. then sort of disappeared. And sort of suddenly he's a he's a leading man again. Although in this case he's actually kept the same name. But. Yeah. Um, yeah. Moving on to a film called Carmu's Wars. Uh, this just popped up um, last week. Uh, this um, is an Egyptian film about a sort of revolution. That seems to be going on. It looks like a quite a sort of big budget, sort of epic war drama kind of thing. But then in the middle of it, up pops Scott <laughs> Adkins. And um, the trailer turns into a completely different bizarre. movie for a little yeah. while. <laughs> it, it, it does, yeah. It's it's really weird. But it was it was Scott Adkins himself who, who posted the trailer on online. He sort of said something along the lines of, "Yeah, I was on holiday in Egypt, you know, having a look at the pyramids, and uh, decided to make a film while I was over here." Um, uh, yeah, this looks great, personally. Um, the trailer looks great. You know, even without Scott Atkins in it, um, I'd, I'd be happy to sit down and watch this. It looks, you know, that sort of big budget action sort of war drama thing going on. But what is that line, well, you know, that and hell's too, coming well. with me coming from? Mm. Practical effects. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's that line? He comment? says, and hell's coming with me. That comes from something, doesn't it? Yeah. You're right, yeah. I'm not sure what it is. It seemed like he was even being a little bit Irish or something. (laughs) Funny enough, I was thinking, you know, it's almost as if he's playing the same character from Savage Dog. Uh Yeah, I did think that myself, yeah. Because that film ends with him being, like, recruited by MI5 or someone to go, you know, to do all these dirty missions. Mm -hmm. And I could sort of see almost him being dropped into this sort of, you know, revolutionary Egypt kind of thing to sort of do something. But yeah, no, it looks good. Kicking a guy off a horse as well. So um, yeah. Yeah. the other news about Scott Atkins, of course, is um, other than the fact that we um, covered 
uh, accident man recently is that he's been cast in Ip Man 4 with um, Donnie Yen. In fact, Donnie Yen apparently, um, uh, you know, handpicked Scott to start to co-star in the film, uh, wrote a part particularly for him in mind. So it's great. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's massive that these two guys are going to finally sort of start some fireworks on, on screen. Yeah, not before time. Absolutely. And there's a bit of a connection uh, with the previous film there because uh, Fan hmm. Su Wong was in Ip Man 1 and 2. I'm not sure if he was in the third one. But. Yeah, no, I don't think he was. Um, okay, let's move on to um, a British martial arts film called Amber. Uh, this looks interesting. The trailer, I'm not so sold on. I think, I think they could have done a better editing job on the trailer. Um but this looks very interesting. It's got a lot of um, sort of the, the, the cream of the crop from sort of British martial arts in there. Um, I'm really excited to see this. Uh, Jean-Paul Lee, who's in our um, review of Jailbreak, um, he's in there as well. So, yeah, this, this looks rather good, I think. Looking forward to it coming out. Yeah, intriguing. Indeed, yeah. It's, it's, it's something we don't do at all. In this country, sort you know, a bona fide sort of martial arts action movie, other unless it's got Scott Atkins in it, of course. But um, so so yeah, looking forward to checking this out. Yeah, I'll definitely check this one out. Looks good. Hmm. And it's also uh, co-produced by a friend of the show Sue Cole, who who does the um, the Fighting Spirit Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So yeah, apparently she's got one tiny role and then she dies very quickly. Apparently, but yeah, um, moving on. Hotel Artemis. Um, I really like the look of this. I have to say, this uh, now it kind of reminds me of that really horrible film called Free Fire. Oh yeah, um, I want to see that, and I'm hoping it, it's horrible. I think so, um, but this looks a lot better. It, it, this could almost be set in the same universe as John Wick. Well, that's what I was yeah. going to say. Is yeah. this not basically the Continental? Yeah, basically. Except it's a hospital instead of an actual it's hotel. hospital, and, 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 it's, and it's set ten years in the future or something. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's kind of part of that sort of you know the whole underworld having their own you know uh, hospital that's sort of tucked away, and you know if you you know if you paid up member, you can use their facilities and things. You got um, Jodie Foster running the place. You got Dave Batista as this very aggressive nurse trying to keep the rules. Um, <laughs> And then you got um, Jeff Goldblum as this villain who wants to get the guys who've come in injured, um, and he he looks brilliant in this, I must admit. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how big this film's going to be. It could, it, you know, it's um, it could be quite a sort of self-contained, almost sort of art house style sort of action movie, especially given the cast. But um, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think the mix of actors looks great. It's a, it's I just don't get why Judy Foster's in it. Mm, I yeah. just, just don't understand why Judy Foster's in it. It just seems like a really strange role to take. And she's done a dozen films in twenty years. And, and you know, why go for this? It seems. I don't she's, know. Yeah. She's sort of announced retirement a few times as well in the past. So it's quite mm. surprising to see her sort of turn up again. Well, let's mm, let's yeah. be honest. She, like this. Let's be honest. She did Elysium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> that was yeah. hardly her finest hour. <laughs> yeah. No. But she was also in The Brave as well. That was quite good. Oh, Brave I haven't seen that one. Yeah. The yeah. Brave one, I would say. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I remember that. That was like, oh, that was like 2004, wasn't it? Something. I think so, yeah. 
Yeah, well, just on the back of death sentences, that, mm. that great double header of yeah, revenge movies. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to end our coming soon section with The Quake. Um, now, uh, uh, quite a while ago, we reviewed a film called The Wave, which was directed by uh, Raw Utah. Um And we, we kind of noticed um, that there was a follow-up called The Quake coming out with the same characters, because um, that film ended with sort of the main guy, the seismologist, moving across to Oslo. And it's, it's that kind of like Die Hard 2 thing. It's like, oh, my God, <laughs> how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? You know, <laughs> um, um, I've only seen a Norwegian language trailer, but I, I, I like the look of it a lot, I must admit. Um, who, who doesn't like a decent disaster movie? And, and this looks, you know, it's, it's got the, the the some familiar beats to it, but, but it looks really cool. Oh, yeah, I was having a hell yeah while I was watching that. Mm. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah, I do like to look at this a great deal. It's directed by John Andreas Anderson. That's right. Brilliant director of photography who, do, do, who shot Headhunters, which was the excellent adaptation of the yeah. Joe Nesbo book, and, and yeah. also The King of Devil's Island, which is a great Scandinavian film with mm-hmm. Stellan Skarsgård. So, uh, and yeah, like you say, it, it's a disaster film that isn't by the asylum. So we get to have uh, a bit of credibility. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not directed by the asylum and it doesn't star The Rock. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's doing well for itself. Yeah, definitely you're going to check that one out. So that's the coming soon section for this week. Our first review this week is Accident Man. This stars uh, Scott Atkins as Mike Fallon, a professional assassin who specializes in making all of its hits look like a bizarre and fortunate accident. When someone close to him suddenly dies, he soon realises that her death wasn't a case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. She had been assassinated by one of Mike's professional colleagues. Mike takes it upon himself to investigate and avenge her murder, finding himself at odds with his fellow killers. Uh, Let's go over to Rich. I rather flippantly said to to my brother that he should check this film out uh, because and that sort of to make him laugh about it i said it's from the it's from the director of green street 2 starring the guy from green street 3 uh (laughs) thinking that he'd go oh god but i I think he'd really like it because this is very much a uh sort of a guy richie inflected kind of movie where i know he'd really enjoy it and i loved it i thought it was a, a, a terrific fun cool um tom what do you think yeah i thought the same um just on the point of uh, the Guy Ritchie thing, obviously, sort of British crime films in the last twenty years, maybe sort of eight out of ten of them sort of follow the Guy Ritchie thing quite closely. Mm. So the majority of them are a bit tiresome, but this never sort of overstepped that line. I, I felt it like it had its its own sort of rhythm uh, rhythms, hmm. and um, yeah, it was good. And how yeah, great is it to see Scott Atkins playing a British action hero? Finally, like properly yeah. a British action hero. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, Scott himself sort of described this film as basically a bunch of blokes in the pub talking you know, and just cracking <laughs> jokes and stuff, which it kind of is for, for long stretches. But um, it, it's never less than entertaining, um, that's for sure. How did you guys get on with the, the narration side of it? I thought it was really good. I thought he was that, uh, I know... I, Scott Atkins has never really done a lot of dialogue or, you know, not, you know, not heavy dialogue anyway. And this is very much his voice throughout the film. 
Um, mm. But, you know, it was great. I thought he, he suited the character. He sounds, you know, real and relatable, even though he's obviously the kind of character you can't really relate to. But um, <laughs> it, you just connect with him quite well. And, yeah, I think this is, real, this is a film that's got real breakthrough potential for him. I think so as yeah. well, at least in other countries apart from the UK where they gave it such a shitty cover, mm. um, which, which I, I really believe is going to put people off, unfortunately. Uh, I, I make no qualms about the fact that I absolutely loved it, you know, as I saw it um, just were, over a month ago. You were lucky um, enough to see it on the big screen. I saw it on a big screen with Scott Atkins himself in, in, in the audience. Uh, he did a Q&A afterwards, which one day I'll get round to actually typing up and... Um, Putting on the website, um, yeah, it's it's just a lot of fun. This, I mean, Dave, what do you re- reckon of it? Yeah, I just like the comic book aspect of it. I think that's a really important element to draw upon, really, because yeah. here you've got you know a comic book which is written by a guy who's described as the godfather of British comics, uh, Pat Mills, Pat Mills, yeah. uh, who, who wrote alongside Tony Skinner back in 1991. But I think it, it's it's not until you listen to the commentary on, on the DVD with uh, Scott and um, his co-writer Stu Small yeah. um, that you really understand just how far this project goes back I, I mean uh, Stu recalls in the commentary how Scott actually brought this comic into school that you know they went to school together these two guys mm. um, so you're going back to early 90s of the original genesis that this may one day be made into something I mean it was a, it was a complete pipe dream back in the 90s I mean yeah. these people had no you know, they may have had aspirations of a film career, but it was, it was certainly, you know, far, far, far from um, happening. So sure. it, it, that just makes it such a, a really cool project in the, you know, 25 years ago, they had this idea. And now in 2018, it, it's been fully realized uh, and realized so well. It? Mm. It's, um, yeah, so, so behind the camera, we've got a great, um, a really cool director um, in Jesse V. Johnson, uh, someone we all, I think we all like at least one of his films in the past. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the first films I ever reviewed, sort of, you know, uh, officially was um, The Fifth Commandment that he did, which I thought was very good. Uh, he, he's a guy who re- understands action and he, he can get action done. He can, he can film it properly. Um, and then in front of the camera, you've got such a, a, an amazing cast. You know, you've got Ray Park and um, uh, Michael J. White teaming up as these sort of unlikely special forces guys mick and mac um and they're brilliant together um you got ray stevenson behind the bar and he's just absolutely brilliant in this film you know as big ray i, I think he alongside scott atkins that you know the, the pair of them sort of really made this film work i think for me the real surprise yeah. in the car all the cast is is great including amy johnston and you've got nick moran and rosso hennessy as carnage cliff he's really good but I just did not expect to see David Paymer in this film. <laughs> so I was like, David Paymer? I was like, geez, he's looking quite old now and everything, but he's still, you know, he's still got it. He's a, he's a, he's a great presence in the movie. Absolutely. Now, the fight choreography in this was done by Tim Mann, um, who has a small sort of cameo as an assassin wearing a motorbike helmet. Um, he... He, you know, I, I really like the stuff he did on Ninja Shadow of a Tear, um, the, the sort of direction he did on that, um, the, the choreography. And I think he does a really good job here. So the two standout fights, of course, are the ones when he fights uh, Mick and Mac together. And then at the end of the, towards the end of the film, when he when he's confronted by, um, what's, what's the character called? Jane the Ripper? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that is a really vicious fight. You know, I mean, a lot of people have commented on on the fact that, you know, it's a no holds barred. And it was um, interesting that, you know, that they didn't sort of try and give Scott a female sidekick to pair up with her, you know, sort of to fight off with her or something. You know, she, she was given her proper due, you know, fighting the, the main guy. And it, it's just a really, really good fight. Yeah, the whole film. I mean, there's the edge of the film that sort of lets it down is the fact that they didn't have a huge amount of money, and that shows, especially mm. in the production design, uh, uh, you know, and the locations. You know, it's just got not it's mm. got it's not got scale, um, but for everything else, it's you know really good. And say you can't get films really like this made in the UK. Um, you know, mm. we've had we've had Stratton and stuff recently, but you know, this is miles better than Stratton uh, and. Mm. A couple of the others that, that I think we've seen lately, you know, the the fact that you know Jesse Johnson is a British guy, the same as Scott. They're both Brits. They both work mainly in America and elsewhere, uh, and they've had a sort of a coming home with this project. And you know, Jesse's, you know, the, I think the only other sort of British-related film that Jesse Johnson did before was Green Street Two, which was pretending yeah. it was in the UK, but it was actually shot in Los Angeles, and it was really obvious. But <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I've only seen Green Street three personally, but yeah. Well, I really like Green Street three, and I think these two are quite—they're quite a good. Com- they qu- work quite well together because Scott was sort of introducing the idea of him being that sort of British anti-hero character in yeah. that. Uh, you know, he's using his natural accent. His character's supposed to be a bit of a prick, and, and you know, the same mm-hmm. is true here. Um, yeah, there's a good line in this when, um, you know, because his, his, his ex-girlfriend is now sort of run off with a, another woman. And, the, you know, the, the, the least misogynistic thing he can come up with is the fact that, you know, when he's trying to express his feelings is, well, she's the only girl that I never cheated on. <laughs> so, oh, good for you, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's it's a great little film. I hope, hope he gets to make another one of these. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's one of those things. Um, Sony UK shot themselves in the foot twice over this film. Uh, the first was deciding to delay the release from the so, so it didn't coincide with the American release, um, which left it open for people to sort of, you know, doing illegal downloads and all that sort of thing. Because hey, there's a perfect pristine copy of the film available on countless piracy sites you know so so thanks very much for that sony um but then they decided to change the um the dvd cover as well everywhere else has got this really nice kind of influenced by kick-ass, you know, kick-ass movie but it gives it that sort of comic book feel straight away you look at it and go oh yeah this is going to be like a comic book movie you know so it's going to be it's going to be on those sort of lines and instead they gave it this dreary Flat. yeah lifeless it's, oh it's horrible. It really is. Um, so, so well done, Sony UK. You know, you, you, you were handed a pot of gold, and you filled half of it with lead, or yeah, or something. I, my, my metaphors are rubbish, but um, I'm not happy. <laughs> Sony UK. Especially, you know, having it treated like that in his in his home territory after having gone to, gone to you know put such good effort in. And yeah, the mm. the original artwork is derivative but it's really good mm. eye-catching you know the purples and the and the yellows yeah. and that you know gets gets your attention it's a for me it's a 
it's as much as, well, they're all sort of a, a, of a similar kind of relationship, but anybody who likes something like Smoking Aces, uh, you know, mm. anything with those sort of exaggerated, even like Hotel Artemis that's going to be coming out soon, you know, yeah. those movies that have larger-than-life, cartoony, um, hitmen characters, you know, mm. and, and bad guys, they're going to love, they're going to love this as much as anything else. And I think if they, if they get the, if they could lay their hands on this and they see it and they enjoy it and it opens them up to potentially watching some of the other films that the people in this movie, Scott Atkins, uh, Michael J. White and, and Amy Johnson specifically, because mm. I, I don't think there's any problem with Ray Stevenson. I think he's well known enough right. that, that people will be familiar with his work, but the, there's so many great people in this that you know need to be seen a bit more. Sure, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, guys, how are we going to score this? Okay, I'll jump straight in with an eight out of ten. <laughs> yes, I'm going to go eight out of ten as well. Yep, I'll follow that as well. Eight out of ten. I'm going to be different. Go for seven. Fair enough. Okay, three eights and a seven for Accident Man. And if you haven't seen it yet, why not? Go and get it. Our next review this week is Jailbreak, uh, when Playboy, the co-head of the Butterfly Gang, is captured by the police. He immediately agrees to spill the beans, and his fellow gang members get wind of his betrayal and set a plan in motion to kill him. And our team of police officers are tasked with taking him to prison and find themselves trapped in the midst of a full-scale riot as various inmates try to get their hands on the traitor and aren't above murdering a few cops along the way. Um, in the middle of the um, the police is a character called Jean-Paul, played by Jean-Paul Lee, who's um, seconded from France. And there's a sort of weird sort of um, antagonistic relationship between him and one of the other guys, Taroth. Um, now, let's go over to Rich. What do you reckon? Of, sorry, not Rich. Uh, Tom, what do you reckon of this? Yeah, this was quite a pleasant surprise. Um, yeah, it's um, quite a simple scenario, really, and they make good use of it. Um yeah, so the majority of the film takes place in the prison and then from the moment the action starts, it's pretty much relentless until the end. Absolutely. And there's, a, there's a lot of good fight scenes in this as well. Obviously, there'll be comparisons drawn with the raid and things like that, I think. But this, yeah. This holds up well. Dave, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm a little bit torn on it, to be honest. Um I mean, you know, reading into it, um, it's fascinating to learn about uh, the director, Jimmy Henderson. Mm-hmm. Such an English-sounding name, but he's actually Italian. <laughs> um, he left Italy at 18, moving to London, where he um, began a fascination with underground cinema. Um, but he couldn't get any work in the UK, um, you know, as it is. It's so hard to get into the film business, so he just, you know, shipped off over to Cambodia. And within weeks, he was working as a as a DP on 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 something. I think it was small screen uh, work. Um, so fascinating to read about. Fascinating to read about uh, John Paul Lee as well. You know, it's his mm-hmm. first uh, lead role. Uh, more familiar as a stuntman, for example, when um, Henderson was casting the film. I think he was busy on Doctor Strange, so he had to wait a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I quite liked it. Um, no, I did like it. But I just felt as though it fell short in a few aspects. I mean, like like Tom said, the synopsis is just brilliant. So simple. Eleven words. 
four cops escort a mobster to prison and get trapped inside. And I love films like that because they're great to, to sell to people because it's, it's you know, it's so, uh, there's no sort of convoluted um, explanation. But I, th- I think it fell short to me on its limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, you had um, with the fight sequences, uh, they, I think they employ about 75 background artists for these you know, mm-hmm. mass fight sequences. Um, and while the, the one-on-one cambot stuff is dazzling, absolutely fantastic. Some of the broader palette of of, of combat sequences are a little bit um, stilted and a little bit over choreographed, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with a missed punch maybe or a kick that's way off. Um, Apparently, a lot of the stunt people weren't actually trained. I think uh, John right, Paul Lee right. had to train a few of them himself in sort of like yes. a boot camp before filming. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I just felt as though that the sets were a bit limited as well. You could tell how small yeah. the set was. It wasn't in the prison. I think they, they, they mocked up the set in an old school it, or something yeah. like that. And so it's it almost felt... yeah, it's almost an asylum set, isn't it? It's it's like a um, little bit. Yeah, little bit. It's, 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 so hence yeah, the reason I was torn because it just felt I really, really wanted to like it and I did like it. But there were just things nagging at the back of my mind, which is sort of not cringe, but moments where you sort of take that sharp and take a breath and, ah, you know, you want, it, you want it to be better. You want it to be better. And it just tends to be a slight barrier in absolutely loving the film. Where instead, you just come off liking it. I, I, I really did like this. I mean, I've been anticipating it for a long time. And you know how it is when you, when you start anticipating a movie, you want to really see it. And is it ever going to sort of live up to your expectations? Um, and it is a flawed film, that's for sure. Um, for example, there's, there's the whole sort of budget thing, you know, the production values. A lot of the time, it's it's just like a grey wall with the word prison stenciled against it or something, mm. you know, or some of the long sort of lines. Um, the acting isn't the best. You know, the chemistry between the cops isn't, isn't particularly great. Um, but um, the action is just like absolutely superb as far as I'm concerned. That first multi-person fight, um, I thought the camera work was amazing. It, you know, the, the way they, the camera moves around the various people, the way it captures the action, I just absolutely superb. Uh, it, it just really, really worked for me those particular scenes. You know, some of the comedy, <laughs> there's, there's a bit. <laughs> There's a bit where Playboy almost gets raped in the pit, and it's just like by the most bizarre, grotesque person ever, um, which, which was actually quite amusing. Um, but yeah, I, I just really liked it. The the, um, the other thing as well is the way it ends. Um, it's one of those sort of pyrrhic victories, isn't it? It's like the kind yeah. of but don't win at the same time. Yeah. It's it's which I thought was really interesting. Um, yeah, and, and you got Celine Tran in there as well as, as the, uh, the sort of head of the, the background. Her, um, her background surprised me a bit because, I, mm. like I said, I didn't know much about the film, so I went to IMDb. She's top of the credit list. I clicked on mm-hmm. her uh, to just to have a quick look at her CV. I scrolled down, and then that was quite an eye-opener, I must say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Such, such classics as uh, Lesbian Office Seduction 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Asian Assassins. 
Bareback mm. Asians, te- yeah. yeah. So Big yeah, I mean, but black, obviously, yeah. obviously very comfortable in front of the camera. <laughs> um, and I thought she was actually pretty good. Um, in, in that, yeah, she, yeah, I thought she was good as well. Yeah, and, and her fight, fight scenes as well. Yeah, her yeah. fight with the uh, the female cop at the end, I thought was was really good. That's so, actually that. Sorry to go for yeah. a wild tangent, but that reminds me of the first time that I watched Fright Night. Um, and you know you got Stephen Jeffries in there, and then you go oh. to like IMDb and you check out Stephen Jeffries, and you see that like this year he made, you know, you, you look at oh where's he been since, and then obviously you discover that he's been in gay porn for the last twenty years, yeah. you know, making <laughs> me- mechanics by day, lube job by night, which is one of, one of the old time classics in, in my mind. <laughs> sorry, it's just for like you know, interjecting with that. <laughs> sure. Now, uh, I mean, we mentioned Jean Paul Lee. Um, yeah, he's he's been knocking around as a stuntman for a long time. He's now sort of like getting his name up in the credits. Um, I, I think this is a really good calling card for him. He's also in uh, Amber, which we talked about in the coming soon section. Um, and, and I know he's on board for another project, um, which I've forgotten the name of. Um, if you just bear me one second. Um, it's by a company called Dream More Films, uh, and I was talking to the sort of producers of it. Um, they definitely got him on board. It's going to be a big sort of action, sort of futuristic action movie. They're looking to film in China. Um, so yeah, um, interested in that one as well. So yeah, he's, he's definitely sort of a, a person to watch. As is um, director Jimmy Henderson as well. I think um, on the basis of this, you know, this is a film that's been sort of two years on the. Um, the festival circuit, it, it, you know, a lot of people like it. Netflix have now picked it up. Hopefully, um, it's getting some views. Yeah, I believe this is the first um, Cambodian film Netflix have picked up as well. Right. So I think in terms of their cinema, this could be quite an important step as well. Definitely. Yeah. Mm. So scores on the doors, guys. I'm definitely going to give this one a seven out of ten. Uh, yeah, I'll say seven. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. It's, it's one of those films really that I would have never watched um, because I, I love like action films, like uh, films of this ilk. You, you know, they always get, tend to get pushed to the bottom of the pile. Um, mm. But it's only because of this program that you tend to sort of find yourself being directed in various ways. And I'm really glad I watched it because I did enjoy it, you know, irrespective of its faults. I'd probably give it maybe, I'd probably give it a six. Mm-hmm. Rich, you need to get this one on your viewing list. I've already got it on the list. So I just haven't got the time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great, though. Our final review this week is Cold Skin. Just as the world starts to slide into the First World War, a young man is dropped off on a desolate island to take up the position of a meteorologist. He finds that he shares the island with a cantankerous lighthouse keeper called Gruner who has turned the lighthouse itself into a veritable fortress. Soon he finds out why. A species of blue-skinned humanoid creatures lives in the sea surrounding the island, and each night they attack. Our young protagonist must join forces with Gruner in order to survive. Dave, over to you. What do you think? Yeah, there's a fair bit to say about this film, really. Um, I watched it on Tuesday, uh, just as, you know, uh, sort of new release uh, orgy of uh, view and I attempted every week um, and then I sort of got the message that we were going to talk about it this weekend um, so I yeah. thought well 
I'm one of those retarded people. If I if I don't make notes as I'm watching something, it just I can't you know formulate any kind of opinion. Um, so I thought I'd best give another spin. So I ended up watching it again on Friday, and it's one of those films that I, even in such a short space of time, I was quite looking forward to giving it another look. Um, it's an interesting film. You know, you've got the director there, Xavier Jens, who um, has made some amazing films. Maybe not Hitman, but certainly yeah. um, you know, Frontier, so I really, really like it. And also The Divide as well. Um, written by Jesus Olmo, who, of course, wrote um, it's his first screenplay um, for 10 years after he wrote uh, 28 Weeks Later. Um, based on a novel by Albert Sanchez Pignon, a uh, 52-year-old Spaniard. Um, the book was written in 2002, uh, almost as kind of a metaphor for the Spanish invasion of South America. So we're, we're pretty heavy. You know, we've, we've got some heavy, uh, heavy uh, subject matter going on here. Um, the director's always been a fan, Xavier Jens. Uh, he initially wanted to make it after Frontiers back in 2007, but budgetary issues. And obviously, when people get towards the film, they'll they can see that this is quite an ambitious little project. Um, I mean, with its structure sort of centred on that notion of amphibious creatures set within a world of horror and romance, then it's obvious to think that, well, it's just parallels going to be drawn with, um, you know, the world of Gilamo del Toro and uh, Shape of Water, which, which is a fair, fair uh, comparison. But I thought it was a very different film to the world that Del Toro inhabits. Um, it's interesting. I just love that. I like any film with that two-person dynamic. And, and well, I know we're here, it's about the threesome, but mm. here you've got that young weather observer, known only as friend um, in, in, in the credits. Uh, and this strange, forced friendship he has to have with his lighthouse keeper, played brilliantly um, by Ray Stevenson. Um, it's a strange relationship um yeah i sort of go bunk with him and he's mm. the complete polar opposite to oaks's uh oaks's character um sorry um david oaks the guy that plays the character yeah, friend um, friends, yeah. yeah just I, I liked it i like the timeless nature of it. It, it yes it's set in 1914 but there's a quality to it that sort of dictates that it could belong comfortably in in any era of filmmaking. Um, I like the solitude of it. I like the setting of it. was filmed in Lanzarote, but just that barren, windswept setting. Yeah. Um, so many aspects really, really appeal to me, to be honest. Um, and yeah, I did like it. It's a tough one to recommend, I must admit that. But, um, oh, and also, I must admit, uh, shout out to the girl who played the amphibious yeah. uh, creature. An An Anaris, I think her name was. And played right. by... Laura Garrido, who yeah. um, people may know from uh, the brilliant film The Body from 2012, Spanish film called The Body. Which oh, is, well, if nobody's yeah. seen it, it's just such an amazing yeah. film uh, directed by uh, Ariel Pazlo. Um, but yeah, it, it's an unusual one. It's a very unusual one. And like I say, it's a tough one to recommend, but I don't know what you thought of it, Mike. I, I really liked it, but. Um... It, it it is a very weird one and it's you know typically uh, Xavier Jens you know I'm not surprised really he gives us a very difficult pair of people to like mm. Um, mm. you know uh, we, we got this guy who we don't know his name is called Friend who arrives on this island as you say it's totally desolate it's like made of volcanic rock basically he's just 
sort of black rock everywhere. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, sort of the, the questions raised, like, well, what's he doing here? You know, so why, why is he sort of taking this sort of life of solitude? And he mm. kind of, it's it sort of tied into, it's the start of the First World War, and you're kind of thinking, well, maybe he was, you know, some sort of conscientious objector, maybe. And certainly his actions at one point of the film may kind of point you in that direction. But then you got... Um, I mean, you could easily flip this film on its head and look mm. at it from the female point of view. Yeah, this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's her character called again? Anurus? Anurus, yeah. Yeah, who's, you know, she's a, of this race of um, blue-skinned humanoid creatures, kidnapped by Ray Stevenson's character at some mm-hmm. point, repeatedly beaten and raped until she's basically a, um, you know, a pet so like you know cowers at his side the whole time um and then you got this other guy who comes along and goes yeah that, that seems perfectly normal behavior to me um you know i'm not going to speak out about this one way or another um and it is it comes down to the fact that well yeah okay she's blue skin and got weird eyes so i'm okay with it. it's um it kind of sticks in the throat you know what i mean mm, yeah yeah but having said that, you know, other than that sort of difficult sort of um, protagonist, you, know, you don't really empathise with the plight. Um, and, and to to a certain degree, they're very slow on the uptake of what's actually really going on. Uh, but what I did like about her performance is at the end, when you see her mm. standing tall, you know, standing, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a horrific moment that, that follows it, but there's just this moment where she's just like standing tall to it, mm-hmm. and she's got this sort of almost like regal sort of posture to her, you know, it's just yeah. with the people again. It's, it's it's an amazing sort of transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, this is a full blooded film. There's lots of sort of, you know, people, some monsters getting their heads blown off and chopped up and the rest of it. Um, yeah, it, the budget is used really, really well. You know, some great yeah, CGI. Awesome. It. Mm. Um, there's a nice mix of like prosthetics for the creatures, and then sort of CGI versions where they're sort of leaping over. Mm. Mm. It it just works really well. Um, yeah. But as you say, it's a little bit difficult to um, recommend. On, on you know, it, it it's not someone for someone who's. It, it's very much the antithesis of the Shape of Water. You know, where that mm. was portrayed as, you know, their relationship was very romantic and so, sort of, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just a bit sort of daring and stuff. This is just like, you know, he walks in on them and he's like, yeah, he, he's he's basically rogering his, his, his pet sort of mm. signature, basically. Mm. So, yeah. It's got a real Lovecraftian um, vibe as well to it. It, does, it could have easily yeah. come from the mind of H.P. Lovecraft. But like I said at the start of, of, um, of this piece, I just... I just like that allegory for 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 her creature, her her, her group of mm. individuals, you know, representing sort of foreign race and um, and the two guys that the, the the archetypal white men sort of fending off this 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 foreign race of people. It's very quite tragic in some respects, but yeah. you know, without giving too many spoilers away, I won't want to see what happens. But uh, yeah, I, I do. I do think it was quite a, a deep film and, uh, and one that really benefits from a second look as well. Um, but I think in years to come, this will be regarded and 
quite highly, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. How are you going to score this one? Um, I'm going to go for a seven. I really did like it. Yeah, I, I, I actually bought this um, and I'm looking forward to sort of watching it again at some point. So, yeah, I'm going to join you on a seven for this. So that was the end of part one of this show. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As usual, you'll find links to all the trailers we're discussing and more in the footnotes, which you can find on our website, thedtvdigest.com. In the next instalment, you can hear our reviews of John Woo's Manhunt, the new thriller Dark, and Jason Momoa in Braven. So take it away, Tosh. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.